Hi there, Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast review for your ears as I continue to go through the 007 50th anniversary box set. We're talking about the man with the golden gun. As a kid, this was always one of my favorite James Bond movies. I love the fact that the, the golden gun could be taken apart and the specialized bullets and all that kind of stuff. Christopher Lee was a great bad guy. I just, and you know, Hot Women. I, as a kid, I always liked this movie. Rewatching it now, this is one of the weakest ones so far. I, I cannot believe that this... I, I did a little research after watching it last night because I just... Wow. Um, it doesn't hold up very well. I will say that, that you know, um, Roger Moore does what Roger Moore does. This is kind of how he plays Bond through the rest of the franchise, kind of tongue-in-cheek the whole time. And it's fine. You know, a lot of people, some people, Roger Moore's their his favorite, their favorite. I not mine, but you know, Christopher Lee is a bad guy. Britt Eklund, very memorable, um, bumbling but very memorable. Guy Hamilton returned to direct. You had um, Tom Mankiewicz coming back to write, but like I said, I did a little research. It turns out Tom was talking about being tapped out on the character, and they brought in somebody else to help with the screenplay and. Well, the movie had a $7 million budget. It went on to make $97.6 million, so obviously a massive hit and then continue making James Bond movies with Roger Moore. But there's just a few things in this movie. First of all, there's not a story. There's really very little story. The vast majority of the movie is given over to, and not getting into too many spoilers, but this is a 1974 film, so deal with it. Um... (laughs) You know, most of the film deals with trying to find Scaramanga, the Christopher Lee character, because he's the world's greatest assassin. He gets a million dollars a hit, and he has supposedly sent a bullet with 007's name on it to M, and they basically give 007 a leave of absence to go find him. And that's the majority of the movie. They even bring back Sheriff Pepper from, what was it, uh, Live and Let Die? Um, he's on vacation overseas and he and his wife run into 007 of all the places to run into them and have a few scenes where he actually has to get in a car and has a chase with them. And this is when they really started injecting a lot more comedy into the movies. And that's one of the things I don't like about the Roger Moore era is Sean Connery was always tongue in cheek. Even uh, the one movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service without Connery. Still, the character kind of maintained a gritty realism, still had that tongue-in-cheek. And Roger Moore plays it just to the nth degree of, of cheese, of, of this, this 60s caricature of, of agent in the 70s. And there's a scene where he beats up Maude Adams, slaps her around, questions her, and threatens to slap her again that just was cringeworthy today. You were waiting for him to, like, try and sleep with her right after, but he didn't. It happened a little bit later in the movie, but still, uh, I made this, a same similar conversation uh, in one of the Sean Connery films where he had to slap a girl around to get information out of him. I just, you don't see this in movies today, and there's a good reason for it. And how come? Bond's never beating up dudes to get information out of them. He just beats the crap out of them until they they pass out or die, and then he'll slap the women around to get information. I don't... Anyway, this changes in, in, as Bond moves into the 80s, 90s, and 21st century. But Man with the Golden Gun, so you have this, like, this loose chase, because he never really gets close to him, and... 
And then there, the, the, I guess it's a twist, but it was a pretty lazy twist that they, uh, he wasn't actually after Bond. Like he has this opportunity to kill Bond and he kills the guy standing next to Bond. And it turns out that it wasn't him that sent the bullet in the first place that started all this. <laughs> and so finally in the final, I don't even want to say third of the movie, in the last 20 minutes or so, when they finally get to have a lot of scenes together and hang out together... It all feels pretty rushed, and we find out that there is a, a bigger plan here to solve the energy crisis with solar power and use it as a weapon and sell it to the highest bidder. But where most Bond movies, this is that's the whole crux of the entire movie. This is something they throw together at the end, so he has a reason to be more than just an assassin. He, he's worked on this. They changed a lot from the book, too. Um, some of the early movies, pretty much carbon copies of the books with some changes. This was another uh, book that took place in Jamaica, and they'd already done that twice with previous movies, Live and Let Die and Dr. No. So they moved everything to the Far East. Another thing they did that they had fooled around with a little bit, but they really tried to inject some martial arts and kung fu into this film with actual martial artists. Unfortunately, by today's standards, the choreography was horrific. I mean, it's terrible. Him doing the karate chop thing on somebody's neck, not very hard, and them going, I, you know, it's just, wow. <laughs> um, but it was a good attempt, and another James Bond movie that takes place in the East, and so you got some great um, shots of Thailand, Hong Kong, and Macau, and um, I like the fact, and I won't get into too many deep spoilers, but I like the fact of where uh, uh, M's setup is in Hong Kong. I think that was that was pretty inspired and interesting. But overall, it just feels like a James Bond movie that's going through the motions, that he's going from fancy place to fancy place, from set piece to set piece, and oh, Christopher Lee pops up. And Christopher Lee's great in the, in the role. He really is. Um, but it just, it when it was over, I was like, wow, I didn't remember this being quite that bad um then you look on rotten tomatoes it's about 40 percent you know at the time it made a lot of money because there weren't too many movies like this that you know big chase scenes and around the world locations and and bond was continuing to grow in popularity with every movie but it is entertaining it i, I can't call it the worst in the series because there's some great things in it Maude Adams is interesting. She plays somebody we're supposed to kind of feel sorry for, but she's kind of a bad guy. And she's kind of, I don't know, a catalyst for a lot of the things that happen in the movie. Uh, Britt Eklund's character as Goodnight. Everybody remembers what she looks like and how bumbling she is, unfortunately. Uh, one reviewer called her the most bumbling spy ever, but it's okay as long as she's wearing that cute bikini. In the list of franchise bests, while it was profitable, it was the fourth lowest grossing in the series. Pretty modest compared to like Live and Let Die, which was before. It was the last Bond film to be co-produced by Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. Saltzman sold half of his parent company stake after the release of the movie. But you look back and, and people really liked Britt Eklund and Christopher Lee. They both you know, came out of this movie quite well. It's a fine James Bond movie. It's just a lesser one. It's got some stunts. It's got some, some, some trinkets and gadgets. It's got some martial arts. It's got some chase scenes. It's got some pretty women. It's got some, you know, 
And wow, in the menu, they used, in a lot of the menus for these remastered Blu-rays, they're using some of the footage for the introductions that was either not highlighted, not used, or not the main part. And so it's kind of, oh, that look, it, it, you know, it looks like it was shot the same time, but it was, you've never seen it before. Pretty, pretty obvious naked woman there at the beginning. I know <laughs> it's funny to watch these, these opening titles as they got into the seventies, uh, how they got a little, a bit racier and a bit racier with PG movies. And yeah, this is not really holding anything back. Go 70s, as far as some of the imagery in the opening. Uh, Scottish singer Lulu does the song, which was a, a bit of a change from Wings, who and Paul McCartney, who had done the last movie. Still a little more rock and roll-ish, even though John Barry still did the music and it still got the sweeping orchestra stuff and the, the action scenes that sound like Bond. I just, I love John Barry's scores. They just always fit this. For locations, for another Bond adventure, definitely watch this one. But man, I can't believe how far it fell down on my list of favorite Bond films. It was right up there. You know, I, I just always had a a great place in my heart for this movie. And now watching it, it's like, eh, okay, this one won't be coming back to this one real, real soon, unfortunately. Other than for like Christopher Lee, he's really good in the role as Scaramanga. And Bond does outwit him at the end and... Then we get to rush to a giant island explosion that we always have to have, and one final fight scene, and and then some more romance. So it, that that we kind of got the cliche James Bond ending on top of a movie that just kind of went through the motions. But there were some good things about it. If it's in a box set that you buy, then you will watch it at some point. But I wouldn't put this on the list of must see James Bond movies anymore. Unfortunately, it was just okay. And when I'm done with all of these, re-watching them in my adult life as a movie reviewer, I will rank them all somehow, some way. Um, there, there'll be a few at the bottom. I, I think this one's going to rank down there around... Um, Moonraker was never a favorite. It was a favorite when I was a kid because of the sci-fi aspect, but now it's like 007 in space just rubs me raw. But that's a... We'll get there. We're not there yet. We've got more movies to come. Working my way through the 50th anniversary box set, one of the other things I've talked about in the reviews is would I upgrade these to 4K? Um, all of these movies in this set are 4K restorations done about 10 years ago, and we are coming up on the 60th anniversary of James Bond, and he's just... All of MGM has now been bought out by Amazon, so I would imagine we have a 60th anniversary box set probably going to be made where they will probably release the 4K Masters. They've released some of the newer movies in 4K, but none of the older ones. And so this was another good restoration. The print is in fine form. It looked great. You know, I, I can't tell you what it looked like with HDR or at a higher resolution, but as with all of the early movies, they've done a great job making them look and sound great. I noticed the sound was better. As, as you get farther into the 70s, the sound gets better and better and better as our technology got better. This felt like more real surround sound. It had a wider space, you know, it just it, it, wider sound stage. It just felt bigger all around uh, than the last couple of movies I've watched. That, that was very noticeable. And the video looks good, too. So this would not be one, if I were buying them individually, that I would upgrade to 4K. But if it came in the box set, I'd be fine with it because it, some of this outdoor photography and cinematography probably looks amazing. 
uh, at a, had a higher resolution. But again, you know, we'll see what happens when the 60th anniversary rolls around. It's coming soon uh, from MGM's new owners, Amazon, I'm sure. Or maybe they'll just run everything on Amazon Prime. I know that you can watch some of these movies in 4K on streaming services, but streaming services are not as good as, as discs ever. So there's that. So working my way through James Bond, the man with the golden gun is just okay, and I'm kind of disappointed because it was always one of my favorites. More 007 and other reviews on the way. Thank you for sharing, liking, and subscribing. Therockfile.com is where you need to head for the links. And have a spectacular day. Spectacular day.